to the Out of the Box podcast. Oh my gosh, incredible. It's time to give out some hardware. It's going to be a great show, folks. That is Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. Tom, do you feel like giving out imaginary trophies tonight? Sure, why not? Sounds good to me. It is award <laughs> season. Uh, I finally saw Nomadland over the weekend, and now I just feel like walking on a red carpet and giving out a bunch of midseason awards to softball teams and players and coaches. I only understood about half the words you just said. That's fine. Good. I'm happy for you. Ready to roll. Uh, later I on understood, show, I understood softball, so that's that's all that matters. Well, that's all you need on this <laughs> softball podcast. This is the right. out-of-box podcast. We've got coming up in just a little bit, the 2021 Boxies, our midseason awards for this year, but we will, of course, start at the plate and talk about Alabama's sweep of Texas A&M, what's coming up this week. That would be, Tom, one of the biggest road trips I can remember in a really long time that wasn't at Florida or at LSU. Right. Yeah, that, that was the – that's the caveat there because whenever you play Florida LSU, that's always big. Uh, but this is the biggest road weekend for Alabama since the that series at LSU. At the end of 2020, uh, at the end of 2019, because Arkansas threatening to run away and hide with this thing. So Alabama is going to have to go and try to pull them back down to earth here this weekend. Got to take it. Got to yep. take it. We'll talk about that later on. We'll also talk about the Hogs when we advance the first, discuss what happened in the SEC. Arkansas swept Auburn. Thank you for nothing, Tigers. But just refusing to help anyone, Auburn, as usual. It's not very nice of them. No. Fascinating series between Tennessee and Kentucky that we'll talk about. Also, LSU Ole Miss got a little wacky. We'll discuss all of that. We've got FGCL Player of the Week. And then we will steal second with the 2021 midseason boxies. We've got Player of the Year nationally in the SEC and in the FGCL. We've got Freshman of the Year, Pitcher of the Year, Coach of the Year, Best Surprise Team, and then awards for Alabama, which will be interesting. I, I wonder, because for the first time, Tom, we're not recording this together. So I have no idea what you're going to put. You have no idea what I'm going to put. It'll be no. very interesting. It will be. I mean, we could just end up agreeing with each other, because I think a lot of these times we end up kind of thinking along parallel lines. But I think we might have some disagreements here that I'm looking forward to. Okay, good. I, that's what the audience wants to hear. I right. don't want to hear us agree for 30 minutes. That's not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then we will round third and talk about the NCAA tournament thing. So I don't want to say we broke news because we didn't, and that was not my intention, but I think we were the first people to really start talking about this predetermined site thing. Then the NCAA released a memorandum, D1 softball and a bunch of other websites posted an article fully explaining this predetermined site thing. And now we can actually discuss what it means. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is just basically, they don't want somebody that doesn't know they're going to host find out that they're hosting three days before they're supposed to host and not be able to have their protocols in 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 place. So um, I, this is one of those things. I, is it the ideal situation? No, but it's kind of where we are in 2021. I'm just glad we're having regular regionals and regular super regionals overall. Uh, we're just going to know where they're going to be a few weeks earlier than we normally do. Yeah. So we will do that. We'll talk about the new RPI as well and some big games around the country this weekend. And then we will head home. SEC picks as Tom's lead widens. We've got a big weekend coming up in the Southeastern Conference. So 
you know, and I'm going first this week. I'm going to pick first to, to wow. shake things up. Okay. All right. Will it work? Probably not. <laughs> uh, also, uh, we will sign everything off. We, we do have off the wall. I thought we were good. I really did. Yeah. I was going to cut it yeah. off the rundown. And then today, things just went haywire. And there are Alabama fans trying to persuade people that this team is not good. And I just don't understand it. Help me understand, Tom. I mean, I have come to the conclusion a couple of these people, as I've said before, are not actual people. That they are they are trolls from from other fan bases that are coming in. Uh, they made a made a burner little account, and they're and they're trying to rile people up. So I think that's a couple of these things. But other than that, it's just people wanting to be miserable, and uh, we're going to call them out on it. All right, let's start at the plate, Tom, and talk about Alabama's sweep of Texas A&M. A couple numbers I would like to go over if we can, partner. Alabama's batting average this weekend, a crisp 447. They hit better than 480 all weekend long combined with runners on base and runners in scoring position. That would be both of those stats separately, both over 480 for the weekend. Bailey Hemphill, your SEC co-player of the week, by the way. Five of six, an 8.33 average. Seven RBIs, a home run, a double, five walks, a 9.23 on base percentage. Alexis Mack and Alyssa Brown combined to go 13 of 19 with five RBIs. Lexi Kilfoyle's OBP this weekend was 7.50. Her average was 5.71. Let me tell you, Tom, and we're going to talk about the pitching in a minute, but by gosh, this offense answered after they faced some doubts after the Kentucky series. And that answer was quite loud from this past weekend. It really was. And I can't believe Bailey got out that one time. I was just, I mean, come on, Bailey. You, you could have had a 1000 OBP, which got out once. We expect uh, more. Yeah, come on. Uh, but yeah, overall, I thought it was just a really good performance. So situational numbers are just amazing. And you got to think about it. This is not against like the worst pitching staff in the league. You know, Herzog entered the weekend as the number one ERA pitcher in all of the SEC. So Alabama was able to do this against really good pitching uh, when they had to have it. Because we talked about it last week. Alabama could not afford to to fall any further behind Arkansas, even though you're going to go play them. And then you got Florida coming up. So you're going to be able to take care of that business, but you couldn't be too far behind. So a sweep was almost necessary here this weekend and Alabama did that continuing to figure out what the lineup is without Bailey Dowling I think switching uh Mac and KB sides from one two to two one I think really uh kind of solidified things making the decision and, and just going with Maddie Morgan I think really helped overall too and um I really like where the lineup is now uh we don't have the an injury update on KB sides as of yet so hopefully she'll be okay and is able to go here this weekend. But uh, Jenna Johnson was cleared to run this past weekend and hopefully will be cleared to do more this weekend at Arkansas, which could just add right in uh, another big bat to this lineup. So I think Alabama kind of weathered the storm of losing Dowling and finding out what their lineup is without her. And I think Alabama's in a good spot now. If you're looking for a team that is going to hit 10 home runs a game or is just going to, you know, knock the cover off the ball all it, Alabama's not that team. Alabama is a team that's going to get the quality at bats and the key hits when they need it. And, you know, sprinkle in some homers and some doubles and triples in there, but it's just a team that's going to just apply the pressure offensively for seven innings. 
Yeah, two things I want to touch on that you just talked about. One, I as well love the move, Alexis Mack to the top of the order. I think, Tom, you might remember. I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but I know I said it to us privately. When sides came back, I was kind of pushing for Mack to stay in the leadoff spot at the time. Her average in the top spot is 200 points higher than it was in the two spot. And I think also what I really love about it that we got to see more this weekend than ever before was the chaos and just the panic that having Alyssa Brown and Alexis Mack in a row can cause defenses to feel because Mm -hmm. there were a lot of times this weekend. I mean, I just read those Brown and Mack combined stats. There were a lot of times this weekend where they both got on base after each other. And that just set a fire to the Alabama bats and set a fire to the game plan that inning and really got things rolling. That I think is my favorite part, having the possibility of Brown and Mac up together. It doesn't have to be bunts. It doesn't have to be slaps. It can be hitting away. They have proven both of them. They can do that successfully. And also just having that speed back to back. It just makes the defense have to think so much more. I love it. And I, uh, I fully expect this to be a permanent switch for the rest of the year. Uh, to be able to do that without having to hit Brown or Mac at two, uh, it just—I it, think it, the lineup works so better with Mac with Brown being in the nine hole and Mac being in the one. Because right. uh, out after the first inning, as the lineup gets turned over, uh, I think that that just works out the best for everyone. Then you have the RBI, you know, producers like Sides and, and Hempill after her. So uh, I think it's it's a great lineup, and then. The uh, option one really working out with Lexi Kilfoyle. You know, we we've talked about it on the broadcast. You could just you could just see the maturation of Kilfoyle at the plate from when she got the you're hitting every game whether you're pitching or not call to right now. It's been about three weeks against some really good pitching. She's had to face doing that, and it's it's almost like a totally different batter as far as pitch selection and being able to put the ball in play. The homers are going to come. Because she's had some really long singles that have been hit extremely hard. Uh, There's going to be some extra base hits coming there, but the walks have been very impressive and just continuing to pass the, pass the bat down whenever she comes up. I thought, I think that's been as, as big of a development as anything else. All right. I want to get to the pitching before we look at the team as a whole and talk more about Lexi Kilfoyle at the plate pitching this past weekend. uh, It was a surprise to, I think both of us that that was the issue. Kilfoyle went seven and two thirds, nine hits, eight runs, six earned, seven walks, 13 Ks. That is not her, but she had some issues in the first game she pitched. She had that one inning where AM kind of put things together and then they were able to just key into the power in game three. Fouts, I mean, it was another weird game for her. Six and two thirds, 10 hits, all sprinkled around really, except most of them uh, ended up coming in the seventh, I think four or five offer. Six runs, yeah. all of them earned, a walk and 13 Ks. But the biggest number, what is it, nine home runs allowed in the last four games? I mean, it is uh, it is a little alarming, but I will go back to what I've said for years. If the issue is the pitching, I'm not concerned because I know if there's one thing that this team can get sorted out, it's the pitching. I trust Stephanie Van Brakel Pro Throw to fix and tinker with things. And I think uh, I think it was either you or Nathan Sheehan that pointed something out in our group text earlier today. They had one day of practice to get ready for the AM series. And it wasn't even outside. It was inside. And it wasn't even really practice because they were throwing to live hitting. So really, they were helping the hitters more than the hitters were helping the pitchers. Now they've got a full week 
to rest up, to tinker, to work on things and get ready for a good Arkansas team. Yeah, I think that's going to be huge. I mean, after that game with uh, when Montana got taken out against Texas A&M, we were, you know, getting wrapped up and fixing everything up in the press box and look out there and Montana Fouts is in the bullpen, you know, trying to figure things out. Allison Habits is out there with her. Seth is out there with her. They're going to figure that out. Luckily, it has, it has happened while the Alabama offense is kind of taking off. So, you know, you don't have to be perfect right now, but you, you got to get those home run numbers down, obviously, for the Alabama pitching, especially taking on a team like Arkansas. Now, one thing Arkansas does do a lot is strike out. So if you can figure out, you know, how to induce those swings without getting too much of the plate um, on these pitches, which certainly – if anyone's capable of doing it, Lexi Kilfoyle, Montana Fouts are capable of doing that. And I think we saw some quality innings from the other pitchers on the team. I thought Crystal Goodman looked really good. Sarah Cornell looked really good. It doesn't have to be just Tana and Lexi. If, if we get into a point where you want to see some of the, one of the other pitchers uh, or even Shayla Torrance, who we didn't see this week, but um, she's certainly capable as well. You could give Arkansas a totally different look than what they're seeing with the first two. Uh, I would not be shocked if that happens at some point this weekend. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, I feel very confident in Goodman, Torrance, and Cornell coming in and going through an inning or going through the order sure. one time. I mean, I think that we had our concerns after they all, not not Jayla, but in particular Goodman and Cornell, had a couple issue outings in the non-conference, but we have seen so far in conference play when they have been needed, they have stepped up. And, you know, Patrick Murphy, I, I don't think is going to ask any of them to do anything insane, but if they have to come in and get two outs or three outs, I think he has that confidence in all of those pitchers. I, I think you, what you said is right. I, I don't. I would be shocked if we see any of those three go through the order more than once in a ball game, but certainly one time through when someone's seeing something totally different than the way, what they see with either of Alabama's aces. I think that's certainly something we can see. All right, let's uh, let's look at where we are now. We're in the middle of conference play, Tom. We've got midseason awards coming up. Here are some of the stats I want to read: Bailey Hempill and SEC play. A 516 average, 21 RBIs, five homers, a 681 OBP. It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculously it's good. absurd. Right. Especially considering, you know, you lost the protection of Dowling. And she's still and able Tao to do has that. not been lighting it up. No. And she's Crazy. still doing that. It, it's, it's amazingly good. All right. Uh, I would like to point to this other one that I really am so excited to read. Lexi <laughs> Kilfoyle at the plate in SEC play. 318 average. That's right, Tom. Option one. 318 average, four RBIs, a 500 OBP. That is the second best on the team in SEC play. That's better than Kaylee Tao, better than Alyssa Brown, better than Alexis Mack, better than Claire Jenkins, better than the rest of the starters. Second best OBP on the team is Lexi Kilfoyle. Tom, if your argument out there, if, if the argument of the person, whoever's criticizing this team, is that Kilfoyle shouldn't be batting, it's a tired argument, and it's, it's just wrong right now because she is producing in a way that I wasn't expecting, and that's just getting on base. I thought that we would see a 318 average and a 320 OBP or something like that. Like There wouldn't be that right. much of a difference. But to see that kind of jump, like you were talking about earlier, that shows the maturity, that shows the development, and that shows just an incredible growth in a really short amount of time for Kilfoyle at the plate. And as I've said too, I'm glad that they've stuck with Kilfoyle and let her get through this 
you know, the bumps in the road and the maturation because not only for this year, but in the next couple of years, Lexi Kilfoyle is going to be a major, major part of this Alabama offense. So I'm so glad to see her do this now. And uh, if she's able to get that power, which we know that she has to accompany this on-base percentage, look out. If she can get the strikeout numbers down a little bit, then I think we will see that ceiling raise even higher. But honestly, with the walk she's producing, I'm okay if there are a couple strikes out, strikeouts as well. I mean, that's part of that's part of being an everyday hitter. That type of stuff's going to happen. Uh, but I'm just I'm glad to see her go through this this year. It's going to be so helpful for her, so helpful for the team as well uh, moving forward. All right, let's move on to Arkansas. Coming up this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Alabama at the Razorbacks. Tom, with the lineup, I feel like we've got it. I feel like I know what I need to see from this team. One, Alexis Mack. Two, KB Sides. Three, Bailey Hemphill. Four, Kaylee Tao. Five, Lexi Kilfoyle. Six, Claire Jenkins. Seven, Maddie Morgan. Eight, Savannah Woodard. Nine, Alyssa Brown. That, that feels good. That feels right. I'm cool with it. I think that's the way it should be the rest of the year. 100%. Uh, you can see uh, at times maybe if one is hitting is hotter than the other, depending on what the matchup is, you know, maybe a flip of, you know, Jenkins or Kilfoyle or Jenkins or, or, Mo- or Morgan moving up and down a little bit, depending on, again, matchups and, and who's hot at the time. But I think that's your nine. I think Jen Johnson's going to have a – part to play in this as well when she gets healthy and is able to go, whether it's mostly as a pinch hitter or, you know, filling in as a starter at some point. But I overall, I'm really happy with the lineup as it is now, that's for sure. Now we get into the pitching rotation. It's hard to know what to look for. Fouts has a 2.65 ERA in SEC play this year, Tom. That's way higher than I expected. Mm-hmm. Kilfoyles is 2.84. That's way higher than I expected. That's an SEC play. I feel like knowing what I know and knowing who Arkansas is, I'm going to just be honest. I have not gotten to watch the film yet. That's a part of my plan tomorrow before we head up to Fable on Thursday. But knowing what I see in the stats, I feel like the best bet is Fouts in game one. Let her redeem herself from the issues against Texas A&M, see if she's worked on it, but also knowing that she is a strikeout pitcher of the two. And this is an Arkansas team that will strike out quite a bit. My gut says Montana game one. Works for me. Like I said, the main issue with Arkansas is that you got to keep the ball in the ballpark. You know, you could go with, you know, well, a drop ball pitcher should keep the ball in the ballpark, but Kilfoyle has been giving up the, the long ball, even with the drop ball. So uh, maybe you go fouts and you get, you get them off, off balance to start things off. And then, and then maybe you go Kilfoyle game two. I could, I can certainly see that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still up in the air in it myself. <laughs> well, we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> yeah. You know, who knows? Jayla Torrance might start. Friday. I said all those things and we both know <laughs> it will have zero to less than zero impact of who the starter is on Friday. Sure. Oh, absolutely. It's time to put it in play, Tom. Who are we? Well, Bailey Impel has been doing it all, all, all weekend long. Co-SEC player of the week. By the way, how crazy is this? The second time this conference season, Hemphill and Burnside have been co-SEC players of the week with each other. And, and they're going to be on the same field this weekend. One of them is not going to win it this week. I'm going to take a I would, I would guess. <laughs> I'd, certainly, I'd certainly not think that they would both 
put up numbers to be the co-SEC players of the week next week when they're playing each other. If they do, we are in for a heck of a ride this weekend. Uh, let me tell you, the GoPro is going to just be rolling the entire way, and you're going to see just <laughs> glazed eyes. We're not going to have any idea what's going on. Uh, which is about how it is usually, but uh, for, for different reasons. Yes. Either way, we're Bailey Hemphill. It's time to put it in play. When we come back, we will advance the first and talk about the SEC. I mean, Auburn is just sucking it up right now, as is South Carolina. It's really not fun when you look down at the bottom of the conference. And there were a couple other crazy series that we'll discuss too when we get back here on the Out of Box Podcast. Welcome back. It's time to advance the first. We put it in play, and there we go, Tom. Trotting down to first. Not even trying, not even thinking about two. We're just going to one. Yeah. An easy, I will go opposite field even. And just, and just just bloopered it in. We're good to go. We know who we are. We don't right. need to make this a, a double situation. We're taking <laughs> it first, and that's it. Sure. That's all we need. All right. As usual, it's time to talk about what's going on in the SEC. Tom, let's start down on the planes. We asked for something, anything. We both heartfully picked Auburn to win the series 2-1 over Arkansas. We begged on the air. The Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network for an Auburn victory. I outright said, no, we need Auburn to win a game. And guess what Auburn did? Tell you what they didn't do. They didn't win a game. (laughs) Arkansas swept them. Auburn barely was able to put up a run all weekend. It was frankly, honestly embarrassing. Uh, I was watching this Auburn game and wondering why Alabama did not beat them by more. Honestly, and uh, and I felt so bad for poor Shelby Lowe, the freshman, who's got an ERA .88, but an eight and three record because her offense can't score, and it's really just a shame. I feel for her. Arkansas, I, I didn't think did anything special. They didn't look all that impressive outside of Braxton Burnside, but they found a way to win in Auburn. Well, and that's what I'm hoping is that you know Arkansas is twelve and zero, and twelve and zero is twelve and zero, but they've. They haven't faced the cream of the crop of the conference. So hopefully some of those numbers are inflated and Alabama will be able to show that this weekend. But yeah, Arkansas, Auburn, it's as though they knew a that them winning would somehow help Alabama and they just flat out refused. They flat out to even try um, the lineup. We, we said this when, we, when Alabama played Auburn in the first weekend of the conference schedule that Nobody in the lineup scared you, and that kind of continued to be the case this weekend. Uh, you're right. If Lowe had any offensive help, uh, she would be just like the easy freshman of the year. Easy. Uh, easy, but she will not win a boxy uh, because of this. Um, it, it's just, honestly – it's a real shame. Like, I love watching her pitch. I know we're Alabama people and whatnot, but I am a softball uh, fan. Like, I've fallen in love with this sport. We talk about that all the time. Shelby Lowe is a fun pitcher – to watch she's good her star is bright her future is limitless she's holding these good teams to a run and that's not good enough and i'm yeah. getting unfortunately upperclassmen sydney little john vibes every time i watch her sid led the world in one nothing losses her junior and senior year and i think the same is being said for shelby low and i just really feel for her because she has so much talent and it's being wasted right now with this team 
But on the flip side, it was interesting to watch. And now again, we're talking about an Auburn team that can't score. But it was interesting to watch yeah. Arkansas go half game one, Storms game two, and Jenna Bloom in game three with Storms coming in to get the save. And in game three, holding Auburn scoreless. So right now that Arkansas pitching staff is really humming. It really is. But I, you know, looking at this weekend, I really would be shocked if we don't see Mary half twice I, I, as, the, absolutely. as a starter. But stranger things have happened, I guess, depends on what happens the first couple of games. But uh, I, I am not expecting Bloom to be a starting pitcher against Alabama this weekend. But, it, again, stranger things have happened. But I think that kind of shows Courtney Dyfel knew she could afford to do that because Auburn's offense had shown nothing to make her think otherwise. And, and that it, it, tr- it turned out to be correct mm. as, as we move forward. Yeah, Mary Half will pitch two games this weekend. I think you're right on the money there, partner. Let's move on to Knoxville, Tom. Interesting series. It was actually kind of fun to watch a bit of it on Easter, and we got to see a good – bit of this weekend between Tennessee and Kentucky just because of our game schedule you know a lot of things to talk about here Tennessee took two of three unfortunately Amanda Ayala went down in game three I have not seen an update on her injury status also Tennessee had a positive test case with COVID-19 so their midweek games have been postponed or pushed or canceled in some way they might not play this weekend against Mississippi State we'll talk about that more later But Ashley Rogers was incredible. 14 innings this weekend against the Wildcats, six hits, three runs, all earned, four walks, 23 strikeouts, your SEC pitcher of the week. She was, she was phenomenal. And that's, that's what we saw when Alabama played Kentucky or played Tennessee in week two of the conference schedule. Um, Just an absolutely lights out pitcher. That's going to do that against a lot of offenses, ones like Alabama and Kentucky. Are, are not immune to what Rodgers can do, but kind of kind of went true to form for Tennessee that they win the Rodgers games and that middle game is, is going to be rough. It was horrible. I watched that on that afternoon. I had it on the phone, and I just it was like a car wreck. I couldn't look away. <laughs> Kentucky was just hammering every pitcher Tennessee threw at him, and Turner was apparently out with an injury, but – Golly, it was uh, it was rough. It was really rough for uh, for that Tennessee pitching staff in game two. And Kentucky again. I watched a lot of this this series with Tennessee. Watched them play three straight games against Alabama. I still don't don't really know what I'm looking at. They could be a World Series team. They could lose in regionals. I mean, I'm, it yeah. could go either way. I have no idea. None whatsoever. Autumn, the Autumn Humes I saw in Lexington did not pitch this weekend against Tennessee. I no. can tell you that. Does she not travel? I don't know how this works, but she's absolutely unhittable. And then she'll turn around the next game and be knocked all over the ballpark. I don't, I, I really don't know. Missouri right, sweeping yeah. South Carolina. How about that? Missouri outscored the Gamecocks 30 to 13. I mean, where do we go? It's, it's it's almost as though South Carolina's pitching is very suspect. But their offense suspect as well. South Carolina's yeah. conference play batting average is 210. Their conference play yeah. ERA is 557. Yeesh. Neither is working. I don't want to say it's out of the blue because I, you know, you had them last. I think I had them 11th. It's not like I was You're super right. high on the South Carolina train. But I think it is really baffling that it's this bad because we were drinking the South Carolina Kool-Aid last year, and the only difference is the departure of Jana Johns, 
and the departure of Heath. Did they really make South Carolina that much better? You know, not from last to fifth, that's for sure. So, so something is missing for sure with this team right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's something that would make it even worse than what, what was being expected. Uh, yeah, the main issue I had with them was I didn't know what you were having with their pitching staff because you're still relying on, you know, O, who'd been injured for two years, Trotar, who had an injury last year and was coming back this year. Um, so I didn't think you could really trust them. But, yeah, I did not expect the offense to tailspin like this. But it's one of those things maybe you get punched in the mouth and instead of instead of rising up, they, they just have stayed down for the 10 count instead of get up, getting up with a standing eight count. So their bad hitting is contagious like good hitting is. Uh, and it's and they've they've caught the wrong bug, that's for sure. Well, and they weren't able to get things right against the Missouri pitch by committee Tigers. I mean, this is a Missouri right. team that just isn't going to shut anyone down. Their conference play ERA is north of four right now. Their batting average is 311, and it continues to look like all these Missouri series are going to be 10-6 games, 12-8, 9-4, stuff like that. I mean, that's just how Missouri is going to win. Is it enough when we get out of conference play to win consistently? I don't know. Is it enough to get a buy at the SEC tournament? Yeah, I can buy that. You know, we kind of thought that Missouri is going to be a team that wasn't going to sweep anybody, but they weren't going to get swept by anybody. But here they were able to get a sweep. So I think they're probably a little bit ahead of the game from what they were expecting. Yeah, Tom, Missouri's fourth right now in the SEC by a good margin over LSU and Ole Miss. So go fighting Larissa's. Yeah, I mean, that, it certainly does help, you know, the teams like Missouri that LSU has has struggled uh, you know, a team that you kind of thought was going to be up there. Ooh, transition. Let's talk about Ooh. LSU Ole Miss. The Tigers take two of three against the Rebels. Two games go to extras. Ole Miss lit it up in extra innings of game three to win 9-4. Let's be real. LSU should be scoring more than they did against Ole Miss. Like, this Ole Miss pitching staff is good. Borgen is okay. Dietrich is Okay. I just I still don't know what they are. Did they just rise up in this one game and then collapse? I mean, this is the same team that took two of three against Texas and in one of those games rocked them. And now yeah. in supposedly their strongest game of the series, the one in which they have played the best for most of the series, well, the last two weekends they've gotten blown out by Florida and they've lost an extra innings at home to Ole Miss. They've had those series like the Texas series where they've been able to, to really come on strong but then they turn around and have the weekend like they had in Gainesville where they were never in any of the three games. And I just, I, I'm still not hundred percent sure what else you is. I'm, I'm agreeing with you there. Uh, but the pitching staff is still what kind of boggles my mind a little bit more than anything else, because, you know, it's supposed to be an elite four, four person staff and just turn around. They'll get rocked uh, on a, you know, on, uh, on a turn of a dime. Yeah, a conference ERA of 3.07 for the LSU Tigers, and it does not get easier. They close conference play with these four series at Missouri, at Kentucky, Arkansas, and Auburn. So maybe that Auburn series is maybe a respite to give the team confidence going into the postseason. But you mess around, you lose those series to Missouri, Kentucky, and Arkansas, and you can lose that pretty easily. I would be right now, I would say that they would have, they would be favored in only the Missouri series 
I think being at Kentucky, I would take Kentucky right now, two out of three against LSU. Even hosting Arkansas, I would take Arkansas two out of three right now. Yeah, they, they could very easily lose two, if not three, of those four series. Let's move on to the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. Florida taking two of three from Georgia. The truth, Tom, looked like it. Game one, a one-hitter. Florida was guessing that one hit was a two-run homer, yada, yada. But he was looking good. I had the captions. I was trademarking it on Twitter. People were texting me, why are you calling her the truth? Where would this come from? Scarborough's asking for an explanation. I'm saying, yeah, she's that good, yada, yada. Game two, oh, my gosh. Florida wins hmm. 17-1. to one. Mercifully, wow. it goes five innings. Mercifully. On ESPN regular. Like on the mothership, I can't think of anything worse if I was Georgia than to get absolutely destroyed on on the biggest stage you could possibly be on. Just embarrassing. And then game oh. three, not much better. They no. lose eight one. The truth does not set the Bulldogs free in game no. three on Monday Night Softball. The lights go out. It's chaos in Athens after Georgia wins that one game. So I guess kind of a story here is, again, the Florida offense continues to roll. 25 runs in games two and three. Their conference BA is at 300. You know, game two, let's be real, the Georgia pitching staff behind the truth is not what you want. But yeah. it was impressive they, to see them jump all over Mary Wilson Avant in game three. Yeah, the rest of the Georgia pitching staff sits on a throne of lies if, if Avant <laughs> is the truth. Yeah, so that – and, you know, we it's kind of a – Autumn Storms until this year situation. First time around, Avant is really, really good as All-American. The second time around, you know, the offenses that she faced make really good adjustments. And, you know, Eccles is, is as hot as anybody else in, in the country right now. Um, and she she continues to, to rake. Um, you know, Adams continues to be really, really good, helping the out-of-the-box fantasy team. Yes, but overall, I think it just kind of shows that there is a pretty wide gap right now between – the Floridas of the SEC and the Georgias, where Florida is in that top echelon and Georgia is kind of middle to bottom of the uh, of the enigma, mushy middle right now in the conference. We've got we're going to do FGCL midseason player of the year when we get to the boxies, but now it's time for the FGCL player of the week. As usual, six nominees. Tom will pick his top two. I will pick the winner from those top two. I have my winner in mind. We'll see if you know who I'm talking about as I read the descriptions. Okay. Let us begin with Claire Ginder from Furman. On the week, 5 of 14, three RBIs, three home runs, a walk, four strikeouts, six runs scored. Tom had solo homers in both games against Tennessee, including one, the first at-bat of the game against the Lady Vols in that midweek. And that, those were two games that Furman had leads in in both those games before Lady Balls came back and won. So uh, she's kind of spark plug to that. Next mm-hmm. up from Stetson, Lizzie Hubert, four for nine, four RBIs, two homers, a walk, a strikeout, three runs scored. Good job. Good job. Good week for Shuby. I mean, just make the plaque now for the, uh, the all-time nominee the rest of the season. Mack Leonard, Illinois State, four for 10, two RBIs, a double, three walks, a strikeout, four runs scored, seven innings pitched, five hits, no runs, six walks, eight strikeouts. It's not even her best, but it was still no. just so good she was in here. Well, she's going to be like the Meryl Streep of this. Uh, she's going to get nominated every time, whether she wins or not. 
That reminds me of a great joke from the Golden Globes a couple years ago uh, where Meryl Streep was nominated. She didn't show up. And uh, Tina Fey said, yes, Meryl Streep is not here tonight. She has the flu, but I hear she's great in it. That's how I feel <laughs> about Mac Leonard. It doesn't matter who she's playing. She is great in it. <laughs> right. All right, but we do have three more. Alyssa okay. Mullis from Georgia Southern, six for 14 this past week. An RBI, a double six Ks, but they had a double header with Louisiana. And Georgia Southern was held to one hit. That one hit was from Alyssa Mullis. She yeah. had hits in every game this week. She was superb at the plate. Okay. Speaking of superb at the plate, Tom, I'm excited to hear your thoughts about this player now that you've seen her live. Haley Lee, Texas A&M, six of 14, eight RBIs, three homers, three walks, four strikeouts, and four runs scored. She's, she's scary. She's scary good. Yeah, having seen her now in person, definitely – has elevated the entire Texas A&M offense, that's for sure. And she she didn't quite reach the level of just Walker every time uh, that I, I was worried she might get to, but she she was very destructive here this week in, in Tuscaloosa. I think she can get to that level by the time her oh, yeah. career finishes in College Station. I I think she's the best power hitter they've had since Vidalis. I don't think it's close. All right, last one. Savannah Henley, Purdue, on the week, eight innings, one hit, Zero runs, six walks, and 14 strikeouts. But here's why she's here. Savannah Henley, the freshman, got her first college win in game three against Minnesota. They play four. Seven innings, one hit, no runs, four walks, and 13 strikeouts. Wow. Outstanding. Yeah, that's really good. Tom, please give me your top two, and then I will decide a winner. Okay, well, I am going to nominate from those six. Uh, all really good weekends for sure for or weeks for all six of these. I am going to give the pitcher some love, and I'm going to nominate Savannah Henley from Purdue. Again, getting the only one hit in eight innings and getting a, a win over a conference foe in Minnesota. And then I'm going to go, seeing her in person, go with Haley Lee. So those are my two picks. That's the two I thought you were going to go with, and I'm going to give some love to Savannah Henley. Let's there not forget that this is like a really pretty – good Minnesota team like a lot of the people who were on that roster that went to Oklahoma City in 2019 are still there and Savannah Henley held him to a hit (laughs) just the one yeah so uh, props to Savannah Henley the week eight FGCL player of the week speaking of awards are you ready for this Tom I know you're looking Uh, forward to it the red carpet is rolled out it's the only awards show that I will watch (laughs) and or listen to and or pay attention to the boxies the boxies are coming up because Tom, we've got the sign. It's time to steal second, swoop in, slide on that red carpet, and give out some hardware. Are, are people, is the paparazzi taking our picture as we're doing it? I can't wait to be featured on the E Network interviewing about all these awards. <laughs> what are you wearing? Jeans. <laughs> That's next as we get ready to steal second here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Raise up the curtain. Get on that red carpet. The felt ropes are holding back the paparazzi as the pictures are taken from the media. All packed in tightly. Let's say it's like 2018 or something. <laughs> Wearing masks is fine. It's yes. okay. 
Sure, we'll do that. They're all vaccinated. It's time for the 2021 mid-season boxies. As the music is cued, Tom, we can give out some hardware. Some of the best players, teams, coaches, and stories in all of college softball. Very excited. Let's go. Let's just Woo. kick right off. We've got yes. a bunch of awards. So here we go. We'll see. Uh, I, I have my winners written down. I'm sure you do as well. We'll see how many we match up on. We'll all, okay. You'll go first for this first one, and then I'll go first on the next one. We will start, Tom, with SEC Player of the Year. Who gets your boxy for SEC Player of the Year at the midseason point? Oh, wow. I think this is basically uh, it's a two-person race. Uh, if you're not looking at pitchers and I'm, I'm looking at position players for this award. Um, I think it comes down to uh, uh, Burnside or Bailey Hempel and to not be a Homer. I'm going to go with Braxton Burnside. Whoa. Wow. 12 and 0 is 12 and 0. And I think, you know, that she, she has led them that way. Okay. I, she was on my consideration list. I also had Hannah Adams there, but my winner is Bailey Hemphill. I mean, where where do I – tell me when to stop. Second in batting <laughs> average, first in slugging percentage, first in OBP. Her OBP, we talked about it already, 681. Second in the conference is 586. That's 100 <laughs> points, Tom. Yeah, obscene. It's obscene. It's criminal. Fourth in hits, first in RBIs, second in homers, first in walks. Uh, I don't think it's biased. I, I think Bailey Hemphill is the right choice. And right now she should be the front runner. I feel like people aren't talking about her as they should be because maybe it's not as flashy as what Braxton Burnside is doing. But right. I, I think they both have the exact same impact on their teams. The player of the year to me at the midseason point is Bailey Hemphill. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just giving Bailey some, uh, some extra added motivation. I'm sure that Christy Hemphill will send me a DM as soon as she hears this. <laughs> all right, it I'm is doing time. it for you, Bailey. I'm doing it to help. That's all you do. You're just here to help. <laughs> right. I'm like the guy looking for the mobile leprechaun. I'm just here to help. Now we move on to FGCL, Midseason Player of the Year. And I'm going to go first. I've got two. I think it's a two-person award, just like the last one. To me, it's down to Haley Lee and Mac Leonard. I think Mac Leonard does two things really, really well. Mac, uh, you know, pitches. She also hits leadoff for Illinois State. I think Haley is probably the most talented and most successful player of anyone we've seen in the FGCL, anyone's stats that we've read out. But I'm going to go with the player that I think means more to her team right now, and that is Haley Lee at Texas A&M. I'm trusting my gut. I already don't like that I made this pick because I love Max so much. But uh, sure. my midseason FGCL player of the year is Haley Lee. Well, it was going to come down to those two for me as well. Uh, and I am going to agree with you and go with Haley Lee. And my main reason is she's doing it in the SEC. No disrespect at all toward Illinois State and no disrespect to the Missouri Valley either. But it just means more in the SEC. And uh, Haley Lee is able to do that. And she has, like you said, she has taken a team and an offense that before the season, before you knew what Lee was going to bring, you thought was going to be, you know, in the cellar in the conference in that bottom two or three. And she has brought them up to being a top 25 team. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with Lee as well. It hurts me. It physically hurts me not picking Mac. 
because sure. no, I, I, I want her to, but man, it's uh, just what Lee has done at AM. I mean, she is uh, she has shot up that offense overall. Just mm-hmm. uh, interesting. So Haley Lee, both of our midseason FGCL player of the year. Congrats to her. Mac Leonard wouldn't be shocked at all if she wins it in the postseason because we're gonna sure. oh, we're yeah. gonna do these again at the end of the year. And Illinois State is probably gonna be a tournament team. These are just the midseason awards. There's more, there's more games to play. Speaking of just, I think we can both just say our national player of the year at the same time. Tom, you can go first, but hmm. I'll agree with you as soon as you say it. Who is it, Tom? Uh, Jocelyn Allo. I mean, yeah. Jocelyn Allo. <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard. I, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, I know they haven't played the toughest schedule in the world. I know the Big 12 isn't the league that some of the other Power 5 leagues are. But my goodness, like, seriously, with these numbers, come on. Should I read some of them? Are, are they FCC compliant? I mean, they're, they're pretty obscene. I don't know, but we're going to do it anyway because we do like to push the boundaries over here. Sure. <laughs> a 566 batting average, 58 RBIs, 22 homers. By the way, the single-season home run record, Laura Espinosa, Arizona, back in the 90s, 37. A long way to go, more or less, but – I have a feeling Allo is going to catch up. Would not be shocked. Yeah. OBP of 653. Remember that 681 OBP that we read for Hempill? That's in 12 games. This right. 653 OBP for Allo is in like 30. So yeah. it's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. She easily the midseason player of the year. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much marked it down right off. She's the Tom Hanks of what we're doing right now is yeah. what's happening. Absolutely. It's not hard. Not hard at all. <laughs> SEC freshman of the year. I'm going to go first. Uh, I've got Shelby Lowe written down, but she's not going to win. I've mm-hmm. got Jalen Laird at Missouri. She is uh, kind of kind of the dark horse popping out of nowhere. She could win this award. Uh, I wish I could write Bailey Dowling down. This would be her award if she hadn't gotten hurt. But instead, my winner is Erin Koffel at Kentucky. Uh, she's hitting the ball really well. She had the two home runs last week against Tennessee, 360 batting average here in conference play, 484 OBP. She's driving in runs. She's seventh in the SEC in RBIs. And also, I think it's really interesting to watch Kentucky play and see that there is really only one position that stays constant every time, and that is Koffel at short. I think she makes the most impact of any freshman on her team right now. So Aaron Koffel is my pick. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I was, I'm putting Koffel there. Uh, and I was going to make that same point about the fact that she is the only one that doesn't get moved around. She's the only one that is, this is her spot uh, in, in the field and pretty much in the batting order too for Kentucky. So uh, Koffel, uh, we saw her in person and she was certainly impactful in winning the series against Alabama. And uh, I think she is with the injury to Bailey Dowling. I agree. I think Bailey Dowling was on track to, not only win this award, but win it pretty easily. Um, but with her injury, we'll go with Koffel. All right, National Freshman of the Year. This one is a little tougher because, frankly, it's hard to find a lot of freshmen out there making an impact. But, well, I'll go ahead and uh, give my winner because it wasn't hard, if that's okay. okay. Tiari Jennings at Oklahoma, the number one recruit in the country, has played like Oh, it. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's uh, hitting 527 this year, 52 RBIs, 11 doubles, 16 homers. I mean, what's the hitting number? 48 of 91. To me, it's not difficult. 
I, I think that the best competition might have been Bailey Dowling, but the way Jennings is playing right now, it's it's hard to to look past those numbers. Yeah, I, I, she she is the winner. Uh, is there anybody else that gets even honorable mention for national outside of what we just talked about in the SEC, other than her? It's hard. It's hard to find anybody. I wish I wish I had a name. I texted the the fantasy softball group chat and said, "Hey, give me some freshmen that I can talk about." I knew I was going to pick Jennings. I knew you were probably going to pick Jennings, but I want yeah. to talk about more. And there just aren't a ton out there. Nobody could give me an answer. It's got. It's a combination of I think because these expanded rosters, it's tougher for freshmen to get significant playing time this year you have to be somebody like a Jennings or a Dowling to have got or a Koffel to, you know, solidify yourself when you have fourth and fifth year seniors that, that are, that are coming back that you didn't know you were going to have. So I think that's probably the reason why, and we will see some players kind of come out of nowhere, maybe in the postseason or to start off 2022 next year. Let's move on SEC pitcher of the year. So I just went first again, Tom, it is your turn. Who is the SEC midseason pitcher of the year? Can you give me Ashley Rogers' numbers and Mary Half's numbers? I can. Mary Half, a .94 conference play ERA, not 43 strikeouts, third in the conference. Ashley Rogers, an ERA just over two in conference play. She is second in strikeouts with 45. Half has seven wins. Rogers has four. And uh, but half is throwing 44 and two thirds innings. Rogers throwing 38, and Rogers leads the SEC in a one four five opposing batting average. I think I think it comes down to those two, basically because you know the last couple of weekends we've seen both Kilfoyle and Fouts for Alabama, you know, give up some more runs than, than we're used to seeing. So I kind of took them out of the running. I think I, I'm going to go hearing those numbers. And seeing what they've done, I'm going to go with Mary Half because I think she is better the second time that a team sees her than Rogers is. I think if I only had if I only had to face a team one time, I might still pick Rogers over Half. But if you're talking about you know over a series, it seems as though Half makes a little bit better adjustments uh, on the flyer in the circle than than Rogers does. So I'm going to go with Mary Half. Right there with you. That, uh, that .94 ERA really sticks out. Again, third in the SEC in strikeouts, first in Ks looking, has seven wins. The next highest is Elizabeth Hightower with five. And I will say credit to Elizabeth Hightower. If you had asked me before the year, would I have her on my list for midseason pitcher of the year? I would have said no shot. But she mm-hmm. is right there for me with Ashley Rogers. But I think what half has done puts her over that over the top because – you know, she was having to throw a lot of innings early in conference play because Storms was hurt, because Arkansas still didn't really know what they had with Jenna Bloom and the rest of that pitching staff. She worked hard, and she won those games. And now she's got the help behind her. I'm actually, frankly, concerned for everybody else in the conference that she's going to be even better moving forward. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think she is the runaway winner for this, in my opinion. We agree again, Greg. Mm, love that. All right. <laughs> My national pitcher of the year, Tom. And by the way, pitcher of the year, new category. We didn't have that last year. I don't know why. But I had four (laughs) nominees written down. I had two from the SEC, Ashley Rogers, Mary Half. I had Keely Rochard at Virginia Tech. But my winner is Gabby Plain at Washington. I know. I see the face you're making. Mm. 
17 and 0 this year. First in the NCAA in strikeouts, third in wins, 20th in ERA. And I think what makes her really good is that there is no margin for error this year. They just don't have anybody else behind her that you can yeah. trust to throw the beginnings. Lynch has looked slightly better against the weaker teams, but overall, Washington is a one-woman show, and that woman is Gabby playing in the circle, and she is pitching some of the best ball of her career. So to me, Gabby Plain is the national pitcher of the year here at the midseason. And frankly, it would, I think, be really hard for anyone to unseat her when we get to the end of the year. Yeah, I, I would I would nominate uh, Faramo in there as well. You know, being she kind of thought maybe coming into this year she wouldn't get as much run, but then with the Garcia injury, um, it's not obviously not to the level it was last year, but you know, she she has been uh, very vital in keeping UCLA. At the top, I, I would I would give significant thought to Mary Half winning it, but yeah, Gabby Plain. Uh, I ha- I hate to do it. It's bitter. It stings. Surprising losses for Washington have not been when Gabby Plain has been pitching, and she is just you know she, she's as dominant as, as we've seen this season. So I I have to agree with you. SEC Coach of the Year, Tom, you're up first. Who is it? The midway point's got to be Courtney Dyfel. Yeah, I mean. Taking it, you know, it, it's one thing for Florida or Alabama or LSU to be 12 and 0. No disrespect, it's something totally different for Arkansas to be 12 and 0. We've seen what, what she has built, all the credit to her. Again, they haven't played the toughest schedule yet in the conference. It's a backloaded schedule for them, so we'll see if it holds up. But 12 and 0 is 12 and 0, and it's 12 and 0 at Arkansas. So I'm, I'm going to go Courtney Dyfel. I think she's got it locked up already. I would be shocked if she doesn't win this in the postseason. Courtney Dyfel has been building this for years. Things have kind of finally, you know, been figured out in the batting order and in the lineup along with in the pitching circle. So yeah. I, uh, I, I'm beyond impressed. Courtney Dyfel, I think, is the runaway winner here again. I don't think it's necessarily locked up. I, I could still see Patrick Murphy winning. Jamie Traxel. Jamie I mean, Traxel had a lot of consideration for me, actually. She is on my sheet and the uh, the sub bullet. She's the only other coach I put right. there. Larissa Anderson. I think all four, though, depending on, you know, if if one of those teams, Patrick Murphy I put on there because um, with the loss of Bailey Dowling, if, if Alabama is still able to win the conference, I think that's the, that may be the best coaching job Patrick Murphy's ever done, and that's saying something. So I would think you'd have to consider that. Again, Traxel, Ole Miss picked – 12 for 13th by pretty much everybody is, you know, in the middle of the pack. So that's impressive. Larissa Anderson, again, you just mentioned Missouri's fourth, you know, if, if they get a buy in the sec tournament, that's a heck of a job yeah. uh, by them. I would say certainly the front runner right now is Courtney Dyson. All right. I'm, I'll stop getting ahead of myself. That's all good points there, Tom. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for keeping me in check partner. That's the, that that's the, uh, that's the old man in me saying, Hey, hold on here, youngster. It ain't over yet. Well, let's take a look at this from a national point of view. National Coach of the Year. It is my turn. I will go first. Courtney Dyfel is on my list. She was the first name off, uh, actually. I've also got Marissa Young at Duke, John Rittman at Clemson. They're written there as well. But my winner is Melissa Lombardi at Oregon. I I think that when we look at the Pac-12, we sometimes forget that Oregon right now is like a top five team, (laughs) a a high top ten team. I mean – yeah. I don't know about you, but anytime I think about who's going to win the Pac-12, my thought immediately goes to 
all right, Washington, Arizona, UCLA. And I forget yeah. that Oregon is sitting right there, having already beaten UCLA this year. Oh, by the way, the Ducks played the Bruins again this weekend. And we assume unless things get right. you know, postponed because of COVID still hanging around at UCLA. But Melissa Lombardi inherited a team that was reeling with Mike White's departure. They had a ton of people transfer out as we right. out on the air for that, years. That's the, yeah. Not only did Mike White leave, like three fourths of the team left. Yeah. They, it was brutal. They were just horrendous in 2019. Last year, they got off to a good start, but they didn't really beat anybody. We weren't sure. We actually had an entire segment of the podcast talking about Oregon's non-conference strength of schedule in 2020. This year, hmm. you can't make that case. I think Melissa Lombardi has built up that program. They've got good, consistent bats. Haley Cruz has been obviously superb. You know, her offensive statistics matching her TikTok game. And then the pitching staff has been great. Brooke Yanez is looking like the best she's ever looked in her career. They've got depth behind her i think melissa lombardi has an actual world series contender and i think that's a credit 100 percent to her she is my national coach of the year don't disagree i think she certainly is in the running but i am going to double up and i'm going to say courtney dyfel is the national wow coach of the year so far they're 12 and 0 in the sec gray 12 and 0 i mean I, again i know who they've played but they're 12 and 0 i mean they are a really good team uh, she has done a great job building things up. We will see how they do now they're going to face some of these tougher teams in the conference. But midway point, I'm going Courtney Dyfel. I like it. I do want to give some love to Marissa Young at Duke and John Ripman at Clemson. Those are two very new programs, and they're both in contention to win the ACC. So props to them. Sure. But I have no issue with Dyfel as your winner whatsoever. Oh, and by the way, Patty Gasso has Oklahoma, like – generationally good offense right now i know um, it's, it's the nick saban effect that neither of us right patty Gasso. This, right. this is we could talk about that 2013 team i know they did over on seven innings this past week sure it's hard not to say statistically and maybe up and down the lineup talent wise this might be one of the most talented teams we've ever seen in college softball right. and certainly at oklahoma and again the nick saban effect you got Perez at, at ucla i mean so th those will still be talked about, but these type of awards, they usually go to the teams that are not usually up there, uh, but are, and that's another reason why I go with Ar Arkansas. Because once again, 12-0 is 12-0, but 12-0 yeah. at Arkansas is different than 12-0 at Florida. All right, let's keep going. SEC biggest surprise team. This is good surprise, Tom. Joyful surprise. <laughs> uh, who is your pick? There's a lot of different choices there, but I'm not going to say Arkansas because we kind of see we I don't know if we saw 12 and 0, but we saw Arkansas being a contender. The two main choices here are either Texas A&M or Ole Miss, and I am going to go because I think they're a little bit better, a little bit more consistent. I'm going to go Texas A&M as the biggest surprise in the conference. And I've got and Ole Miss written way. down. Yeah, I've got Ole Miss written down. Uh, props to Jamie Traxel at the time. Now, I think the, the light has dampened a bit with what Mississippi State has become. But when they swept Mississippi State, we were like, oh, my gosh. What, oh, is, wow. what is going on in Oxford? What's in the water over there? It's such a great offense at Mississippi State. How can you sweep them? Come on. They're going to be so good. But they also got that win at LSU, as did a and I mean, sure, Ole Miss sure. has hung in there. You know, if, if, they, uh, if they played right now, I would probably say A&M would 
in my opinion, win. But I'm, I'm going to go Ole Miss because, frankly, I thought they would be just horrendous, god-awful, bottom of the pack, and they are not that. They're actually oh. a pretty decent team in the SEC. There you go, 100%. Are you ready to give out some awards to Alabama people, specifically Alabama people? Well, love it. All right. Crimson, bo- Crimson Boxies. Crimson Boxies. I will get the pain out right now. <laughs> Tom, I have a feeling we're going to have the same one, but your Alabama midseason player of the year is? Well, give me Bailey Hipple. She's my SEC player of the year. What am I going right. to say here yeah. for Alabama? No, exactly. it's Bailey Hemphill. <laughs> I should go somebody else just to again continue to motivate Bailey, but I'll 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 go, I'll go the right way and go Bailey and Bill here. All right, that doesn't even count. You're gonna have to go first for the next one. The okay, Alabama right. most improved player here in 2021. Go ahead. I'm gonna go Lexi Kilfoyle. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's because again, the main thing that we've seen. You know, we saw glimpses of it last year. We saw Patrick Murphy go to Lexi Kilfoyle in some pretty big spots as a true freshman. But I've seen a huge growth from her both in the circle and then at the plate, obviously, like we talked about. We've seen that growth in like a three-week span uh, getting the the everyday at bat. So I'm going to go Lexi Kilfoyle. I'm going to go with Alyssa Brown. That, That batting average is where we want, finally, right? We've been asking for you know, 350 and above BA, around 400 OBP for years, I feel like. And now it is there consistently. But also something else I want to talk about, Tom, that I think is not mentioned. Do you know what hasn't happened this year? An out-of-the-box call on Alyssa Brown. Do you know why? Yep. It's because she because, has not been stepping out of the box. Right. And because she worked on it all quarantine, basically. I mean, months and months and months of working on staying in those lines. Also, as fully developed as a hitter who can hit away. I mean, she can be that triple threat if need be. I remember, gosh, it might've been 19. Remember, it might've been 20 where we saw Brown hit away and we both said on the air, oh, I think that's the first time we've ever seen her do that. Now I feel Mm -hmm. like we're seeing it one at bat a game. I, I totally expect at some point this year, she's gonna burn somebody in the outfield and she's gonna get a triple or an inside the park home run because of that ability to hit away. And it's just it's just an added extra element because she's going to come up in the nine hole. She's going to come up in RBI producing situations where a slap or a bunt is not what Alabama needs. And uh, she's she proved that here this past weekend that she can come through in those situations. All right, two more Alabama awards. The newcomer of the year. <sighs> I'm trying to decide if I want to give it to Bailey Dowling. I think or, we should give it to Bailey. Yeah. I think we should give it to Bailey. Yeah. Right, let's I give mean, it to Bailey Dowling. Honorary yeah. mentioned to Cat Grill, but Bailey Dowling is the newcomer of the year. For this next award, the Alabama's most important player going forward, the MIP GF. Tom, who do you think it is? Is it Woodard down at the bottom of the order, filling in at second base for the rest of the season? I uh if try, trying to you know pick one most important player moving forward. I think you got to go with somebody that we're going to see in big spots. And I think it might end up being Montana Faust. Okay. Cause we're going to need dominant Tana um, in some really big spots, you know, in the postseason. Alabama rode her to the third place finish in 2019. I don't think it's going to be asked to her to do that again because she has Kilfoyle this year, but 
I, I think if it came down to it, you know, Alabama versus Oklahoma, the winner goes to the championship series of the College World Series. I think Montana gets the ball, and I think we need good Montana. See, I said Lexi Kilfoyle because you're going to need her to step up in not one but two spots, hitting and in the circle. Yeah. You know, as much as we would like to see Montana carry the load and win everything, there's going to be a situation where she has thrown the last two games, three games, and it's just not viable to pitch her again. And who are you going to need mm-hmm. to step up? Lexi Kilfoyle. Who's going to have to be that person to back up Kaylee Tao and Bailey Hemphill in the order probably for the rest of the year? Lexi Kilfoyle. So I think her success in the circle and at the plate will be indicative of how far this team goes the rest of the year because she's doing it in two spots, not just one. So those are the boxies, Tom. How do you feel? I feel good. (laughs) Congrats to us. And I feel as though I've motivated Bailey Hemphill, and that's the main thing that I want to do. Congrats to the winners. Congrats to us. You have won a high five when we see you and a tweet. We will be tweeting these on our way to Fayetteville, Arkansas. (laughs) Congrats on your social media posts that you will be getting a hearty handshake. Well, that was a long award show, like all award shows. So it's time. I was going to say the orchestra has been playing us off for about 20 minutes and we just refuse to leave. That's yes. It is my money and I want it now. (laughs) Time to round third and we get back. Let's talk about what these predetermined sites mean because I still feel like people don't really know. That's coming up when we get back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. just changed from our tuxes and we're ready to talk about the ncaa tournament after giving out some awards tom are you ready oh yeah ready to roll let's do it the world became privy to a memorandum from the ncaa that we that said things that we knew but then clarified a couple other things about predetermining softball and baseball regionals and super regionals here's the timeline the bid portal has been open. So again, folks, we're all finding out just now. You all are finding out just now. But teams have known about this for weeks. So this isn't super duper breaking news. The deadline to submit bids is next Monday. Softball regionals will be announced the week of April 26th. Again, it's, it's not the entire regional. It's just the sites. We'll right. know the sites uh, coming up. And uh, if you're in the SEC, I got to think you're going to get a pretty good number of these regional bids because uh, we don't know exactly what all the different criterias are. We know some of them, uh, but you got to think facilities and uh, that and weather is going to be a factor and SEC is going to be hard to beat. 
So a couple other things, some of the specifications for 2021 only. If an institution is selected to host a preliminary round, but that given institution's team is not selected to the tournament, so let's say, I don't know, let's say South Carolina puts in a bid to host, but they don't make the tournament. They still have to host. So it would be a bummer for them, but that would be how it works. I would think if you are not 100% sure right now that you are going to make the NCAA tournament, you're probably not putting in a bid. Probably not. To, to keep that from happening. 16 predetermined regional sites. And of those sites, eight super regional sites will be selected at the conclusion of regional. So that was something that I actually learned reading this. I thought it was, okay, here are the 16 sites and here are going to be the eight sites no matter what. No, once regionals are finished, that is when the NCAA committee or, or someone will say of those 16 sites, here are the eight that will host supers, which is interesting. It is. And it, that clears up a couple of things. Again, this is the main reason this is being done is so that a team doesn't find out late in the game, that they're going to host that they can't put their protocols into place to keep everybody safe COVID wise. So this is to make sure everyone can get those protocols in and, it also clears up how super regionals are going to be because remember when we talked to Michelle Smith, we thought there was a, a chance that Oklahoma city might be hosting a couple of the super regionals and a team might could possibly bubble up in OKC for three or four weeks for their, you know, super regionals and then the uh, world series. But that's not going to be the case. If, if you're hosting a regional, you have to be ready to host a super regional as well. And again, you'll have all those protocols in place to host the regionals. So, and you'll have, you know, two less teams for supers. So it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Also written here, the seating capacity for spring championships has not yet been determined. That obviously will vary state to state. That gets into some of the political aspects that we try and avoid in this podcast. But sure. it is hard to imagine that the quote unquote open states will not get you know, maybe it slid up to the front of a line a little bit more than some of the other states where it's harder to get fans in the stands. I think one of the biggest things, though, as far as that goes, that the fact that the NCAA basketball tournaments uh, happened and you got all that money and it's not, you know, it's not going to be a situation like last year. Uh, it's amazing to me on a different note, but real quickly, that out, that the NCAA was able to put on a men's and women's basketball tournament Yes, they were bubbled in one in one city for both of those, but they were able to do that and only had one total game canceled is wow. amazing. Props to everybody involved that was able to. I know uh, I am not one to give the NCAA credit a lot, of, a lot of times, but I will do it here. Heck of a job to do what you had to do and to get those games in. And you got that financial windfall. You're going to, so you're not as, I guess, reliance on some of the other things so you can make whatever your uh, health choices are as far as capacity and things like that, kind of independent of, my gosh, we really need these ticket sales. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But I, I agree with you. I would I would be shocked if, you know, you're not thinking, you know, Texas, Florida, uh, some of these states might get a leg up over somebody like in Arizona or California just because, those states have been more open. It also talks about COVID safety, testing requirements, locations where they can test, all things that I think can be taken care of pretty easily. It mentions hotel ballrooms, designated campus location. 
Obviously, if I'm thinking Alabama, what comes to mind immediately is Coleman Coliseum. Seems like an easy sure. spot to do testing or the football facility. Seems like it wouldn't be that difficult for most of these colleges. The one thing not mentioned is geography. And I have to think that that's going to factor in just a bit. I have a really hard time seeing a world where the top 16 seeds are all hosting regionals this year, just because you're going to need more than just one host in Florida. You're probably going to need two. Now it might help that Florida state and Florida are both in the top 16, but I would say if there's any state that's a lot to have two hosts, it would probably be Florida. Second in my mind would probably be Texas, but they've got Oklahoma, which isn't, you know, super far and Oklahoma state will probably host as well, or at least be in the conversation. But I think, you know, we could see a couple wild cards thrown in there. I still firmly believe that there is a good shot Texas A&M hosts a regional just because of the oh, facility yeah. that they have in College Station. Absolutely. I think so. Um, and I'd be interested to see if a, you know, a Minnesota or a Michigan hosts to try to, you know, include the, uh, the Midwest and, and the Northern uh, representation. Again, if you're trying to keep people from having to travel too far. Might, uh, um, might slide in Notre Dame, perhaps. They've got yeah. the ACC situation, and you know we'll see what uh, what the conferences allow some of the schools to do. But Notre Dame could be that school up in the north that could slip right in and host. And then we'll see how many come from the, like the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, Washington or Oregon. You know, any other year would they would both be hosting and hosting rather easily. Uh, do only one of those get a get a slot? How many California schools host? I would think both Arizona and Arizona State would be definite possibilities. Are the facilities where they need them to be? Is Arizona the state going to allow it to happen? There's there's so many different things that are going to go into this. It's going to be wild. And one thing I know for sure, Tom, everyone will hear this news and handle it well without overreacting whatsoever. So rational with everything that's going to be said and done. Uh, ultimately, does, do we lose a little bit because, you know, I, I, the one thing that I think of, like, say, a the year that James Madison hosted L, uh, LSU for a Super Regional, uh, how just excited the, the, the campus of James Madison was and how big of a deal that was. You lose some things like that this year because James Madison's not going to host in this situation. Yeah, and, and it's, it sucks. But, you know, it's 2021. We're having a tournament. We're having regular regionals. We're having super regionals. It's just some things are having, you know, there's having to be some considerations made. I do think another thing we're going to need to talk about, you know, say, uh, say Alabama and Washington are matched up for super seed wise. Yeah. yeah. Let's say Washington is the higher seed. You know, it's not out of the realm of the possibility for the NCAA committee to say, yeah, we want Tuscaloosa to be, the choice of the two just because of the facilities there and the options available in on that campus. I have spent time in both those facilities, uh, more in Alabama, but I spent way too long in Washington's facilities. If that happens, that super regional is being played in Tuscaloosa. I can, I will mark that down 100%. That's happening. So that will be something else to watch. What's interesting is we're just guessing on all of this. And as much as the NCAA gave us, they really didn't give us anything at all because a lot of the requirements they listed are things every school can do. We don't know the little things like geography, like busing for some of the regional schools. We don't know what, how much they're looking at that. We have no idea. 
So no. we can make these declarations, but at the end of the day, we're not going to know anything until the week of April 26th. The one thing about the basketball tournament with it being all bubbled is that geography paid, played zero part in any of the seedings or anything right. like that. And we'll see all the other and, tournaments, volleyball, they're bubbling in Omaha. I mean, this is really going to kind of be the test case for everything. Right. Yeah. So we'll see if, if they do the type of ge- geographical regionalism where, you know, Alabama hosts, you know, somebody maybe in the same conference, if they do like, you know, cause they try to keep the conferences from being together as far as regionals go almost uh, completely. Uh, we'll see if that goes out the window this year or not uh, based on travel issues. It's all very interesting. And Tom, we will see how much the RPI factors in. I assume Alabama like dropped several spots uh, because, oh, wait, Alabama's still number one. Checks notes, Bama's still number one. Number two, UCLA, three, Florida, four, LSU still hanging in there. By the way, as we record, LSU and Louisiana Tech are tied at three in the top of the fourth in Baton Rouge, a game huh. we'll pay attention to as we edit and wrap this up. Fifth is Florida State, six is Arkansas, seven, Virginia Tech, eight, Duke, nine, Arizona, ten, Auburn. Interesting to see hmm. the Tigers still hanging around there in the top 10. Yeah, they'll they'll continue to fall. So as you look at this list, I've got some of the notables written down. Oklahoma at 15, Texas at 25, which, you know, could be interesting because somebody in Texas is hosting a regional, y'all. It's either going to be right. A&M, it's going to be Texas. Somebody is going to be hosting a regional. That RPI for Texas does not scream this team should host. And I know Oklahoma is coming up. But Oklahoma at 15 still won't propel you as much as they would have say they were top five. The first RPI that came out, Oklahoma was, what were they, 26, I think? The Somewhere first thereabouts. One? It, was, it was between right. 25 and 30, I think. So they're, I mean, they're continuing to move up, and I think they'll continue to do so. Uh, so I'm a little bit surprised to see LSU still holding on at number four. I would think at some point they'll start falling unless they get some wins put together. How did Mississippi State get, move up seven spots? I don't. I, that I don't understand. I, I don't have an answer for you there. I didn't. I just <laughs> said, do you have any other comments? I, not that right. I could provide any help. It just kind of shows uh, this is still a pretty flawed system. And again, we're also looking at a formula that's not complete yet. So you know, we are. We finally got to start to seeing like the the Fairfields and the Boston U's of the world start to fall. So uh, that's going to continue and we'll, we'll see it continuing to kind of shake out to be more realistic. All right. We've got a couple more things we want to get to first time. Anything else that catches your eye about Alabama's opponents in the RPI? I'm interested to see how all these Sunbelt teams end up shaking themselves out at Troy's now at 43, South Alabama, 48, uh, Louisiana, 28 uh, tied taking on all three of those at one point. We'll see if they're able to hold up uh, after they've played more of their Sunbelt schedule. Because Sunbelt, you can make the argument they're the best group of five conference, but they still have some uh, some RPI duds they got to face. Louisiana moving on up in the rankings. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, with what we know, I don't really care how high they move. There's really probably only going to be one host in Louisiana. It'll either be LSU or the Cajuns. And LSU's in that seat right now with that number four RPI. Yeah, and another another place I've been to both facilities and LSU, if it comes down to facilities, LSU should host easily. Yeah. 
Big non-SEC conference games coming up this week. Tonight, actually, as we record, Texas A&M at Texas State. And Texas State has a one nothing lead at the bottom of the first as we record against Herzog. Maybe Alabama broke her. I don't know. But this uh, this will be a game I'm going to turn on once I get home. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting matchup. We talked about it during the broadcast here this weekend. That's a you know a top twenty five team with the Bobcats uh, that A and M's taking on and having to go to San Marcos uh, should be a, a heck of a matchup overall. On Wednesday, two meetings between Florida and South Florida in Gainesville. They met first weekend of the year. It was you know not great yeah. for the Bulls in the one game before <laughs> it didn't throw. So we have to assume the best chance for South Florida to get a win would be in the game that Corey does throw. You certainly think so. Uh, but I, I'm not looking for it to happen. No. Also, the other game to watch, Tom, Oklahoma at Wichita State on Wednesday. Can the Shockers be the ones to shock the world and give the Sooners their first loss? And we talked about this with the uh, in the circle guys a couple weeks ago. That's one of the ones that we brought up. And Wichita State, a newly minted top 25 team as well. Uh, so wouldn't I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be, wait for it, shocked if Wichita oh, State wow. was able, if they were at least able to make it a game, if not, maybe pull the upset. Yeah, there's a chance. There, It's a small chance, but sure. there is a chance. Some big series this weekend, Minnesota at Northwestern. This doesn't quite have the shine that it did in 2019. Clemson at Notre Dame. We'll see you know, how Clemson looks in that big road series, Texas at Iowa state, Duke mm-hmm. at Florida state, another big ACC series, Louisiana at Troy and Oklahoma at Baylor all playing on Friday. Any shot the bears get a game from the Sooners. I wouldn't bet on it. it may, maybe they'll, maybe they'll take some of the uh, NCAA tournament vibes and, uh, and maybe steal one. That's possible. Maybe. You, you, Maybe Waco hasn't seen what's happening right now since the forties. So maybe, maybe it'll happen, uh, but I'm, I'm not marking it down. So those are all this weekend. Also this weekend, one on Friday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday, three of them count. It's stupid. UCLA <laughs> at Oregon. Fascinating. I know the first game on Saturday is on ESPN. You or two, one of the channels, but yeah. Oregon has given UCLA their only loss this year. They could do it again. I mean, this uh, this is a good Oregon team, as we've already talked about. I know I'm going to have my eye on this series all weekend long. Yeah, it's going to be a heck of a series. It absolutely it's, – it's weird to think about it, but it actually might be bad for Oregon that they beat UCLA earlier because UCLA is going to not let anybody sneak up on them, and especially a team that's already beat them, so – I wouldn't be absolutely stunned if UCLA ends up sweeping Oregon. And if they do, then my goodness, I don't know if they can be stopped. They can't be stopped. Chin Schroeder will do a dance in the rain, thrilled out of her mind. We got to give them a steak too, by the way. Congrats, Jen. Congrats, Tara. You're going to get a steak at Cattleman's. Although I will say at, at worst, it's another excuse to go to Cattleman's. And Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. In the, in the D1 Softball Fantasy League group text, Tara has mentioned a couple stories that she is, quote, saving for steak night. Stories Ooh. that will not be shared on the air. Stories that will be kept between the table at Cattleman's that I'm very excited to hear. I, wow. 
I, I would pay for those stories, much less the stake. Well, we're going to pay for it all, Tom, because <laughs> well, we the, lost the bet. <laughs> right. Because the game didn't end on the Alex Reese 3 like it should have. Well, before we start crying, I think, Tom, it's time to head home. Are you ready to wrap this baby up? Let's do it. Because we get a sweep, and they're still off the wall we got to talk about. And picks. Oh, I'm yeah, going that's first. It. Will it turn my luck around? Who knows? We'll find out when we get back here on the Outer Box Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We don't have the fine bomb money, so we can't play closing time, but it's kind of along that same lines. I've tried. We can play Spotify songs if I turn off the ability for this podcast to be posted anywhere beyond Spotify. Yeah. I said, yeah. yeah, I want the people of the world to be able to hear out sure. Spotify. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like streamingist. I'm not going to be that guy. No, don't be that guy. No. But anyway, it's time to head home. We started at the plate. We talked about Alabama sweeping, sweeping A&M. We say that, and further comments will just look more ludicrous. Hmm. Right. We advanced to first, went over the SEC. We stole second, Tom, and gave out some trophies and awards. And is it epic boxies awarding? Then we rounded third. We tried to clear up as much of the predetermined site discussion as possible. Frankly, it's just not anything we're ever going to get clarity on because it's one of those things that what actually goes into the decision, we won't ever really know. No, kind of one of those behind closed doors NCAA thing that happens. Yeah. And you know what? This year I'm cool with it because I'm still pretty 95,000% confident there will be a regional and probably a super in Tuscaloosa. So 100%. I won't have to travel. That's nice for us. Sleep at home. And now it's time, speaking of home, to head home and start with our SEC picks. Tom has nine. I have six. Congrats to Tom. He correctly projected Alabama to sweep, LSU to win 2-1, and Florida to win two out of three in Georgia. I got Bama and LSU. Tom, how do you feel? That's another victory, and your lead is widening. I mean, that's just – I, you know – I've now, this is my seventh year doing the uh, play-by-play for Alabama. I feel like I kind of know what's going on in the conference. I still don't know what Kentucky's doing, but other than that, I, I kind of have a, 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 my hand on the pulse. I was really confident that Georgia was going to win that series. And in retrospect, I kind of felt like an idiot for taking Kentucky two out of three against Tennessee. I was sitting there thinking, well, of course, of course Tennessee wins this series. Also, would have been nice to know before the series was being played, that Kentucky had literally never won a series in Knoxville. Well, you know. I track and study Alabama. I don't know the history of Kentucky softball as a <laughs> team for the most part. but You'll get uh, there. You'll get there. Yeah. A couple more years. What did you pick t- Kentucky 2 out of 3-2? You'll get there. Come on, Tom. We were both wrong. <laughs> All right. Speaking of being wrong, I'll go first. All right. South Carolina good. at Ole miss the Gamecocks are bad they're just bad but are they so bad that they're going to get swept again in the SEC I don't know I don't think so I just oh, like South Carolina's got to win a game at some point I'm going to take Ole Miss two out of three 
yeah, I, I think I thought South Carolina's finished last. I didn't think they're going to finish winless. Uh, so I, I agree. I think I think they're going to at least be able to beat Ole Miss one time. So I'll go the Rebels two out of three as well. As we record, LSU and Louisiana Tech are still tied at three. I say that because LSU, after that game, I assume in the next couple days, will get on a plane and fly to Columbia, Missouri to take on the Tigers, coached by Larissa Anderson. I'm going to take Missouri two out of three here, but this is kind of a danger zone for LSU if they want to prove that they are a good team. I, I think it's time to actually win a series against a good team. This is a good chance to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think this is this is a danger time for LSU. They got to get they got to get it turned around. They got to get some wins. Missouri is going to be flying high after getting the sweep last weekend, and I think LSU might be able to uh, use that a little bit to their advantage, maybe. So I'm going to say LSU wins two out of three. Wow. Yeah, our first disagreement. Okay, finally of the show. So that's nice. <laughs> we disagreed on some of the the boxies. It's okay. Yeah. I wonder if we'll disagree here. Tennessee at Mississippi State. Now, Mississippi State might actually be that bad. They're 18 yeah. and 15. They're, they're co- Mississippi State is coming off a loss to southeastern Louisiana in a game where they just gave up a lead. I don't trust their pitching. I don't trust their hitting, even against the bad ones for Tennessee. I think I'm going to take Tennessee in a sweep. Is that crazy? Wow. No, because I think I'm going to do it too. Just what what happened to Mississippi Prove State? Prove us wrong. Is, like, what is going on? I don't uh, want yes. Mississippi State to be 0-12 in the SEC. Fale Lewis flipping bats, but yeah. in games where the home run just makes them be losing by two. I mean, To Sela. Yeah, I mean, congrats on pimping a home run. You did it against Sela, and you still lost. You, you make, you're making videos about hitting home runs against North Alabama. Like, what, what is going on? Beat somebody good. They've got their best shot. We'll see if Turner is back this weekend, but I think right. that game two is the best shot State has had all year to actually win a conference game. I just don't – I got to see it. I got to see yeah. him do it. I'm taking Tennessee in a sweep, and you are too. Yeah, I can't – I cannot in good conscience pick Mississippi State to win a game at this point. Also, that being said, the series might not even be played because Tennessee, yeah. again, had that positive case this week. So maybe – a respite for Mississippi State. Maybe their prayers have been answered and they don't want to play this weekend. I don't know. But uh, if that series is played, we certainly hope so. We certainly hope everybody's mm. okay. I think Tennessee gets a sweep, and I I think the Ashley Rogers games are nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I don't, I don't see any way Tennessee does less than two out of three, uh, but I think a sweep is definitely in, in the offing. Georgia at Kentucky in Lexington. We'll see Weird which things happen. Yeah, I'm going to go Georgia does not win this series, but does get a game. So Kentucky two out of three. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, it's time to lean into the enigma I'm ready yeah. to submit to Kentucky just making zero sense. So I've got Kentucky winning this series two out of three. I lean more sweep than a Georgia win, though. Yeah, I can see it going very similar to what happened this past weekend with Florida. Georgia wins game one. The truth comes out and holds this Kentucky offense down. But then the Wildcats come back and win two and win two pretty handily in games two and three. So that's what I'm going to think is going to happen. I'll also pick Kentucky two out of three. Auburn 
at Texas A&M. I think Shelby Lowe gets a game. I'm going A&M two out of three. But for the love of everything, give her <laughs> some help, Auburn. She can't do it alone. I really do feel – I feel for her. Like, it is it is very difficult to watch Shelby Lowe pitch a game because, you know, no matter how well she does, her offense will have three straight weak grounders in the next half inning. So, I've got and A&M two out of three. And I'm going to say Texas A&M gets a sweep. Whoa. Also, where did Maddie Penta go? Why is – where? what happened? Her ERA on the year is now over 2-6. I think it's a two six four right now on a six and five record. She was tearing it up going into SEC play. I have no idea what happened. Finally, Tom, we wrap it up with Alabama at Arkansas. Yes, Tom, the must win series for Alabama. Not must sweep, but they have to win this if they want to stay within striking distance of the Razorbacks. I think anyway. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to pick that. I think Alabama wins two out of three. I think it will be kind of a shock to the system for Arkansas because they have not faced a full team, the caliber of Alabama pretty much since that Oklahoma state team in the first game of the year. That's the only other quote unquote great to elite team they have faced here this season. And at the start of the year, Oklahoma state was a top 10 team or right around there. So I think it's going to be a bit of a wake up call for them. I think they do steal a game at some point. I don't know how, I don't really want to know why, but I think Alabama wins two out of three this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Yeah, because it's hard to pick Alabama to sweep a series in which they're going to have to face Mary half twice. It's a very, very, very tall order, especially in Fayetteville. Uh, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to say Alabama wins two out of three. I think that's going to be sufficient in keeping Alabama within the striking distance, like you said, because. I think it will kind of expose be some of Arkansas's flaws and maybe get, it will help some opponents that they're going to be facing later on be able to capitalize on that. So hopefully it, it will be a type of series where Alabama wins two out of three and then kind of shows the, the roadmap on how to beat Arkansas for some of these other teams they are going to be facing in a backloaded SEC schedule for the Razorbacks. Whew, what fun. It's, oh. it's going to be a good weekend of SEC softball time. The, the series of the year in the conference coming up. And we get to be there after an eight-hour drive. Hammond trees all day, every day. <laughs> there, I've heard there's some there's some good barbecue in Fayetteville. We'll, we'll check some other stuff out. Yeah, Tom's Hungry will be back next week. Folks. Yes, excited. Speaking of excited, Tom, I was excited. I woke up this morning. I was in a great mood. I was going to get my first shot of the COVID vaccine. That means I'm going to be cleared by the SEC tournament to live like a normal life. I'm excited about that. <laughs> I was excited yeah. because I really didn't have any content from this weekend because the issue wasn't the offense. And I think our fans, as wild and crazy as they may be, are smart enough to recognize that any pitching issues can be quickly solved by the mm-hmm. talent on staff and by the knowledge of Stephanie Van Brakel Prothro. And also, like, this segment is not for the majority of Alabama fans. Yeah. This segment is only calling out, like, that 0.1% that is so vocal. But Alabama has the best softball fans in the country. That's the best fan base that there is. Uh, There's just some very vocal dodo heads, for lack of a better term. But then, Tom. Yeah. Nathan Sheehan posted conference statistics on Facebook. And damn it. We have, we have an off the wall. I don't know what happened. 
So here we go. Uh, do you want to go first? You, you can have the honors on the tee box if you want with Masters Week coming up. Ooh. Oh, yes. Ooh. Masters pick. Who you, who you got this week, Tom? After Last time we did the... this, you correctly projected Tiger Woods to win the Masters. So here's your I did. That's true. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, he's not going to win it this year. Um, yeah. after, after seeing the Red Bull-esque practice that he had this morning, I'm going to go with Bryson DeChambeau. I'm going to stick with what is our pick for the Masters SEC Golf League, Justin Thomas. It's his time. Would love it. Would so love it to see JC win it. I'm told, I'm with you. Cool. All right. I'm, I'm happy with right. either one of those wins. All right. That's perfect. A small segue yes. for the golf fans. Now, Tom, please, off the wall. Go ahead. Okay. Well, mine is actually – I actually had one from the stuff this weekend before what happened today. Here, Here's the thing. Okay. The flex position – is confusing to everyone. I the, Again, this is my seventh year doing play-by-play. I've just this year kind of got a handle on how this thing works, uh, why they have to do the flips at the, at the plate, why, you know, uh, with the – because the main reason why the flex is such a – it's not something that Alabama fans have dealt with because Alabama hasn't had a pitcher that hits for herself since Jackie Trainer. So that was 2014. My first year was 2015. Alabama hasn't had to deal with this. But now with Lexi Kilfoyle hitting for herself, Alabama has a flex player when Lexi is, is pitching. So the graphic gets put out with a flex at the bottom in a 10-person lineup. Remember, we only bat nine. The, the, this, the, you know, this is not international ball. This is not some other leagues. This, we only bat nine. So the 10th person is the flex. So Crystal Goodman gets listed as the flex. So we get a, we get a response to that graphic saying calling out the people putting out the graphics that are actually knowledgeable about this situation and saying there's no way crystal goodman is hitting you know it's not that hard quit screwing up the graphic and then that having that tone and then when you're when the response from alabama comes and saying she's not hitting she is the flex she is attached to lexi kilfoyle you mean lexi's hitting for herself Yes. Okay. So if you're not knowing at this point that Lexi Kilfoyle is hitting for herself, why are you coming after Alabama as though you're knowledgeable about softball? That's a totally wrong tactic to be going at. If you're confused by the flex, which I'm not calling anyone out for being confused by it because I'm confused by it at times. But if you're confused by it, ask for clarification, ask respectfully. Don't say that we're screwing up the graphic when we're not screwing up the graphic. You just don't know what you're talking about. So, again, etiquette on the comments and the responses. If you're confused, there's a good chance Alabama's not confused. Just ask for clarification. Don't be a jerk about it. That's my off the wall. Just don't be a jerk. Don't, don't call, try to say that, that somebody else is dumb when you're the one that's confused. I, it, it makes I, – I just – And also, I what was super disappointing, it was two different games, not just the Crystal situation, but Montana was also in the same position – and somebody on Twitter called out, you know, oh my gosh, I can't, this can't be right. Like you must be an idiot. Why is this not filled out correctly? Different person from the other game. And on Facebook, the comments were, is it Montana's time to hit? And then people would say, no, she's just attached to Lexi. And they go, I don't know. That's not what the graphic says. It's like, well, yeah, yes, it does. It's exactly what the graphic says. <laughs> so we all really figured out this week. And introduce a lot of people uh, to the flex position, which is right. always fun. 
And I'm just glad we got to see that happen in real time this weekend. It's good stuff there, partner. It's good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now on to today. Uh, do you have anything from today that you want to dive into? No, I, I, I was going to defer to you on this. Okay, thank you. Let me, yes. let me pull up the post. Tom, today, SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan tweeted and posted on Facebook the categories in which Alabama leads SEC play. Keep in mind, that would be first in SEC play. That would be conference games. Mm-hmm. Statistical categories where Alabama is the best. Batting average. Runs scored. Hits. Doubles. Total bases. On-base percentage. RBI. Stolen bases. That is offensively. By the way, I'm pretty sure Alabama still leads the league in strikeouts or at least they're pretty close in SEC play strikeouts. There are also more offensively where they are second, third. Home runs are fourth. Home runs, Tom. The category oh, yeah. where the fans like are, are just beside themselves. I was told we couldn't hit home runs. I Apparently not. And some of the comments here, like there's a war going on right now. Like just, just in the last little bit, there are fans who are trying to convince people that these stats are a lie that are, that it's not because they're facing elite pitching. They're only facing good pitching. They're not facing great pitching. They're trying to convince people that the team for which they cheer is bad, which just blows my mind. And here's what's worse. I've been talking with the other people, the people behind the scenes who are trying to get people into roads a couple of these folks have asked for tickets to games to see the team that they think is bad and is worse than the stats that they have been shown. The actual numbers, statistical information. And if you think that we are upset by these off the wall statements, uh, the person who is kind of running the ticket exchange, not, not the official one kind of the black market ticket exchange going on with roads she gets more upset than we do. So good luck trying to get tickets from her if you're one of these off-the-wall type people. This same person commented, Bama isn't even the best in the state. See above loss to South Alabama. Dude, South Alabama's not better than Alabama. They had a game where they played better than Alabama. But if you look top to bottom, South Alabama's not better than Alabama. I can no. put out every stat in the book. I overall record RPI yeah. South Alabama's forty-eight. Uh, how about uh, common opponents? Alabama's got a better record against common opponents than South Alabama does. Or I test, which I know the NCAA can't look at, but we do. Look at the I test. Obviously, if they played ten games, Alabama would win nine. We just have to play the one. And I actually responded to this person who said that we struggled, we struggled against great pitchers and, and could not smash good pitchers except something that's spelled incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I would like to point out, what do you think makes the pitching good? What team yeah. out there is raking against great pitchers? Well, and I'm going to say, and doing so consistently. Right. Because he cited Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah, you know what? They did hit well against Alabama. You know what they also did? They had six hits in two games against Ashley Rodgers, who was a great pitcher. So it didn't right. happen consistently. Like teams yeah. aren't there. There is no team out there 
who is raking against the great pitchers. There are no teams who are consistently raking against good pitchers. Oklahoma only put up five runs against an Arizona State pitcher, Allison Royalty, whose ERA is over three. Yeah. Yeah, that they haven't faced the, the elite pitching either. Um, so that, that that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's kind of like the, the criticism uh, that Alabama football gets of, well, if you have a mobile quarterback that can run, throw accurately, and make plays on his own, then they're going to struggle. Because what, off, what defense is shutting down these type of quarterbacks? There isn't any. That's that's the point. That's why you want one of those type of quarterbacks. I, I uh, the unrealistic expectations of these people just blows my mind. That's off the wall. And if you're this person, you know who you are. You can message right. me. We can talk it out. Give me a reason why we should uh, vouch for you to maybe get back on the ticket right. list because I, I can right. guarantee right now you're not going to another game at Rhodes through certain other means based on right. what today and, frankly, just, the last couple of weeks have looked like. i tracked these just, games. I've given a list of the people who should not be in these games because of what they've said in the past. How are you arguing with stats? Like, the, I don't understand. The stats are what they are. It's, it's, it's like Arkansas is 12-0. and 0. They are they're in first place. I can say they're probably not the best team in the league, but that doesn't mean they're not in first place. Yeah. Mackenzie Herzog entered the Alabama series with the best ERA in conference play. As we all faced off, the ERA for each conference team Alabama has faced going into that series is fourth, fifth, seventh, and fourth. Oddly enough, the seventh was Kentucky, which is, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. funny how there things you go. go. Sure. Alabama's put up runs against Tennessee. They put up runs against Auburn. They put up runs against A&M. And those aren't just mediocre pitching staffs. But these type of people – they're going to try to fit whatever happens into their narrative. So if their narrative is Alabama can't hit good pitching, it'll be, well, Alabama can't hit good pitching until they do, and then the pitching wasn't that good to begin with. Mm. They, they can always circle that around and say that as false as it is. All it'll take is one loss this weekend. I can already see that certain woman who I've referenced before saying, what happened to those batting average numbers you were tweeting about? Great, she's not a real person. You think? I she is not real. I, I would I would stop even worrying about her because she is a 30-year-old Auburn fan. I can almost 100 percent guarantee it to you. I don't know. We should get the catfish people in there and, and see what's up. <laughs> so I'll slide into her DMs. Hey, you know, what's up? How you doing, girl? Right. <laughs> what's up? What's up, girl? Do you want do you want to talk about talk about batting averages over some coffee? How do you want to roll? You want to head to Mama Goldberg's, which is right down the road from where you live, probably. <laughs> Actually, yes. If that's what it takes, I will go to Mama Goldberg's. Reopen one in Tuscaloosa. That's all I want. <laughs> we'll go get some good yet still overrated lemonade. It'll be fine. It'll be fun time. Let's go. <laughs> all right, that's it for off the wall. Tell me anything you'd like to add before we wrap this baby up. I, I think we uh, thoroughly shamed the people who needed to be shamed. Just stop being, just stop. I mean, it's a good post. It is good news. Right. Why are you trying to turn it into something it's not? And if you think we're wearing crimson colored glasses, I promise you there, there are not a ton of people who've been more critical about this team at times than Tom and I have <laughs> this year. And certainly in some of the lean years back when I first started, it's not, maybe it's just not as bad as you think. Maybe you right. were 
suppressing the panic too early. Maybe you've got the 3D glasses on and you're seeing little fires everywhere when in fact there are not that many. And by the way, those quote unquote lean years were still super regional years for Alabama. Mm, it's it's almost like this program is just too good to be true. And yet it is. <laughs> Some news. If this were a video, I would take the computer out and show you. I went back after a snafu. I got the box with the stickers and the koozies. They're in the trunk of the car. I had my friend William Galloway come over today and help me put in shirts. So if you're an Alabama fan coming to Fayetteville, koozies, stickers, shirts, the whole shebang. I've got it all in the trunk of my car, the car that we were taking to Fayetteville. Tom, I know you're shaking your head. It will be there, I promise. Yep, that, believe it when I see it. Uh, well, you does. will on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> you had them in your car and then didn't bring them. That was an unfortunate mishap. I will not <laughs> lie. That, that is a thing. Yes, I had them in my car. Something spilled. I took it out and forgot to put it back. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not a bit a real thing that happened <laughs> oh wow speaking of real things tom you, you like to get real on twitter sometimes where can uh, the people find your wwe tweets and i assume masters week's tweets oh yeah this week and everything else you talk about on the twitter yeah uh, follow me at t canterbury rtr that's c-a-n-t-e-r-b-u-r-y t canterbury rtr for everything Bama, Bama softball, NCAA tournament, Masters, wrestling. We got it all there. You can follow me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. You can also follow the show at Out of the Box underscore Pod. And Tom, if you want to tune in to this big time series this weekend, where can the people find us? And, and let's make note, they can find us in even more places from now on the rest of the year. Absolutely. Yeah, you can find us uh, if you're in Tuscaloosa and you're just listening in regular over the air radio, 93.3. FM in Tuscaloosa. Also, praise933.com is uh, is the online spot where you can stream us. You can download the Praise app to stream us. You can download the TuneIn app to stream us. Sometimes we're on Sirius XM. It's all over the place. We're on the full network. I actually I got a text from somebody that said they were listening to us on Sirius. Are you so? Uh, no. All right, wait. Then let me just talk to the people. If we're on Sirius. <laughs> Let us know. That is super easy yeah. for my grandparents, and they desperately want to figure out how to listen, but they are horrible at the technology. Let us know. <laughs> right. if you hear us on Sirius. Like, I don't know what channel number it is, but, like, wherever you go to, to hear Alabama on Sirius, normally, if that's something that you do, we should be in and around there somewhere. So, uh, so we are everywhere. We're on the full Crimson Tide Sports Network from now until the end of the season. There are so many different ways you can hear us uh, all the way. And as always, just go to RollTide.com. The Alabama softball schedule page has links to listen live, uh, watch live when we're on TV and everything. It's all right there. You can call us Stormy Warren and the highwayman or whatever. <laughs> on the highway. I don't know. Sure. Spider Harrison. He's there on Hits 1. Spider I know that. with a Y. Yeah, it is Spider with a Y, indeed. DMB Channel 30. Good times. Good times. I almost don't want to do a game with you this weekend so I can just sit in the car and look for us on Sirius. <laughs> if I disappear for an inning, that's where I am. That's where you're Okay, well, that's understandable. That's it for this episode. Congratulations to all the winners out there of our awards and the losers who wouldn't keep their mouth shut on social media. We are grateful for each and every one of you, aren't we, Tom? I mean, you've, 
you've created a podcast. So congratulations. We even we didn't have to do a spinoff this week, but you're still there and we appreciate you. Absolutely. Again, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Next week, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. We'll have guests. We're going to probably supersize the episode a little bit more so than it usually is because next weekend, Tom, Florida comes to town. So it might be a, it might be a dual guest kind of show. We'll see how we feel. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. So again, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you want to find us, you can look on RollTide.com. You can go through all the ways Tom just said. Either way, it's a big-time weekend, Alabama and Arkansas, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, coming from Fayetteville. Tom and I will be there with the GoPro for all three games. And for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson, signing off here from the Out of the Box Podcast. Remember, folks, don't be off the wall. Just be rational, be normal, listen to the numbers, listen to the facts, and stay tuned because, oh my gosh, it's a monster week. We'll talk about it all next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.